Welcome to Eclipsed, a Heroes podcast where two old school Heroes fangirls talk about the show and defend its honor. My name is Rachel. And my name is Keisha, but sometimes some things don't need defending. <laughs> uh, sometimes stuff comes out and it needs to be addressed. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that is what we are doing here today on a very unexpected special episode of Eclipsed. We we were both not trying to do a podcast all day. No. <laughs> we just finished recording the new episode for this week. And as you can hear, because Rachel says she's going to keep it in, this broke while we were finishing. So here we are, right back, 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 back again. Yes. Um, oh my and God. if you're wondering what it is, Leonard Roberts dropped an essay in Variety about how heroes broke him, or nearly broke him. That's literally the name of it. Heroes was supposed to be Leonard Roberts' big break. Instead, it nearly broke him. And... Before we get into the articles, we're going to touch on pieces in it. But we've also, this is not our first time talking about the race problem on Heroes. Hell no. Uh, the most recent one was when we talked about Stephen Canfield. Uh, we, we yeah. I, I constantly am like, why does Usutu not have a name on the show? Uh, <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, we've brought this up when uh, DL died. Absolutely. We did a whole, like, half an episode mm-hmm. on that. Talking about, like, what the fuck, why do you have to go out this way and all da da and Leonard Roberts totally nails it when he talks about that part, too. Yes. Like, he said what we said. Like, oh, now? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we'll we had plans, but I think we still have plans where I want to do an episode where we, we break down characters' fates on Heroes versus a show of the same time, which would be Lost, that also had a diverse cast, and maybe another more mo- recent one, just to kind of look at, like, you know, comparing things fates and stuff especially in particular fates of the characters of color yeah i was gonna say just off the top of my head i was like lost ends pretty white too it does it does i I just wanted to compare and contrast two lost i'm trying to think of another big ensemble show that we could use we'll worry about that later that's not a today problem um (laughs) yeah well yeah exactly that's that's for future us yeah that's for future rachel and keisha instead present rachel and keisha just finished reading the variety article yeah Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i'm a little i'm a little about it because uh he does not pull punches nor should he Mm -hmm. and i'm i'm really uh i'm very impressed with his courage in doing this yes um and a lot of what he says tracks with what we've heard going around at the time about people grapevining and rumor mills and such and they even mentioned that in the article to help corroborate it like look Mm -hmm. this was a thing people talked about so a blind item if you will Found that can't still can't find the other blind <laughs> Um You know Yeah. I'm starting to think it's like a Berenstein uh, Mandela effect. Alright. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So yeah. Variety verified this article, which uh Leonard came to them in August with. In August. And mm-hmm. they corroborated corroborated it with ten other people who don't want to be named. Uh which is really normal practice. So yeah. Ali Larder has not commented. I believe, because TV Line also put an article up about this, which I checked over real quick, pulling oh, out some points because it's Osiello that he's like, they're referencing me, duh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. He's like, I tried to tell y'all. <laughs> they're trying to reach out to Larder's rep- representatives for comment. Maybe we'll get an update there later. Uh, mm-hmm. Kring and Dennis Hammer both commented, but did not necessarily dispute his account of what took place. So, well, oh, I, I'm going to enjoy talking about that comment. Don't you, don't you oh, fucking yes. worry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, how do we want to begin? Okay, so I, I don't know. Well, first of all, um, do we want to talk about why he decided to do yes. it now? Because I think that that is everything. It's very important. Mm-hmm. Um, just to sort of sum it up, it, it seems like Leonard Roberts is dealing with the reality of the world in which he is raising a young black daughter in this world and how difficult that is for him, for her, for all involved. And it was during this summer, during the Black Lives Matter movement in the States and beyond, that it really sort of had him dredge up these feelings about uh, an injustice, a systematic injustice that was carried out against him on on his job. Mm-hmm. So he wrote about his time back in 2006 when he got the role, what it was like working on set and what it was like when he was removed from the cast. Yes. And <clears throat> every part of the process really seems problematic as fuck. <laughs> To say it lightly. Um, Yeah. And I, for one, am very interested to see if if other people actually speak out. Because there are several people who could. Mm -hmm. And I'm not just talking main cast, neither. Um, Not even necessarily for just heroes. No, no. For for a lot of things. For the thing we just talked about. For Mm -hmm. Lost, even. You know? Good intentions and all that doesn't mean that, you know, the show, as I said, still doesn't end up incredibly white by the end. Um, so I think, yeah, do we want to just start with how, like, the, the good part in that, like, when he got the job and he was like, this is huge because getting a series regular role on television is really, really impossible. It is it is an incredible crapshoot to get lucky enough to, to achieve that goal. Mm-hmm. And always, always even more so for someone who is a person of color, because everything is against those odds in Hollywood, which only now is trying to kind of reckon with its uh, inequality issues. Mm -hmm. But back in 2006 really was not, was not there at all. So Mm -hmm. um, it was a big deal that he was getting to be a series regular on this large, large and diverse cast. Yes. Because you got to think about the season one cast. Uh, I like, and they, they verified this as well for the early draft of the pilot, that D.L. Hawkins <laughs> was described as literally a white man's nightmare, a prison inmate who could pass through solid matter. And mm-hmm. he was, in fact, in the unaired pilot. You can watch that on the season one um, DVD. You can see D.L. Yep. there. So, yeah. He started with that, and then when it got picked up, they're like, all right, so we're taking you out of the pilot, but don't worry, we're going to put you in the second episode. Sure, because, I mean, the same thing happened to Greg Grumberg. It did. Same thing happened to Greg Grumberg. Yeah. Things get shifted around a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, hey, they they shot a lot, so, yeah. And so production kicks up again, because, you know, they film a pilot, production gets shut down, gets picked up, gets brought back in. When it gets brought up again... He had been hearing other cast members have been talking to the writing staff about their characters. He never got such a meeting with the writing Which, staff. Anecdotally, um, and they don't mention names of the actors who got to, you know, get all this time with writers and stuff. Mm-hmm. But 
that's a thing that happened on this show. They used to talk about it all the time behind the scenes, how they would speak with actors regarding the directions of the characters. They would, you know, try to learn the voices of the particular actors so that they could write to sound more like them. Like, they spent time with the actors. That happened. So, mm-hmm. And it's suddenly weird that that isn't happening for him. And he's very open to collaborating. He would like to do that. He would very much like to be part of it. You know, I'm just I'm just saying like the whole thing about like that happened because some shows are like they're not into that. You know, they're like, do yes. the thing and yes. like, we'll we'll figure it out. But they, um, this, in fact, was something that was happening on the show. Absolutely. Yep. And he also points out that there are no black writers in season one in the writer room. No, there are not. Um, which, again, is sadly typical. And I'm sure it was something that nobody even noticed or, or said anything about, especially back in 2006. Um, I think we talked about earlier about the male to female ratio. Yeah, which is also quite depressing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. So he references an odd photo shoot where all of the black adult regulars were regulated to the back and sides of the photo because they were tall. And I think I found that photo shoot. I was like, I'm pretty sure I know what photo he's talking about. If it's the one where like Allie is like dead center is the one that I looked at. I think so. Cause it's like he and Mossy on one side. And then like, um, I feel terrible cause I can't remember like actor names, but Simone and Isaac, on, not oh, um... yeah, Simone and Isaac on the other. Tawny Cypress and Santiago Cabrera. Thank you. So they were on the other side, pretty much. And then Sentel uh, was, like, near the center, too. But he wasn't put to the side. If that is the photo shoot, that's the only other one that looks like that might be the case. Because a lot of them look like they're shot separately and then photoshopped together. Yeah, I can I can see it in my mind. I think I know exactly what photo you're talking about. And mm-hmm. it's that's very much how that happened. And, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, well... That's really not great, but that's, you know, down to the people directing the promotional photos and the people who take the pictures and the people who make those decisions. Surely it wouldn't keep happening again and again in promotional stuff. (laughs) Surely never. Yeah. Uh, It was also at that time when Crane came up and was like, well, guess what? You're not in episode two, but do not worry. Great things are coming. And (laughs) as we remember, DL does not show up again until episode six. Yeah, because we, on the show, talked about him all the time on our podcast. Mm-hmm. And we were like, don't worry, he's coming. <laughs> because the show talked about him constantly before we ever saw him. Yep, we're like, we saw him in the honor pub, but he's coming, he's coming back. Yeah, don't worry, guys, he'll be here. And I didn't even remember it being as late as episode six, which I think I found through the rewatch. A lot of stuff I thought happened quicker than it did. Because mm-hmm. um, I swore it was like four or something, but yeah, it was episode six. Um, yeah. So... He's there in episode six, and as we know, DL is married to Nikki Sanders, Allie Larder. And let's say Allie Larder and Leonard Roberts did not get along very well. They had a an intense scene, a lot of pushback between the two of them about how the scene was going to play out, and he's like, you know, he's a theater guy, he's like, this stuff happens all the time, sends her a bottle of wine to note... Which was never acknowledged. <laughs> so, you know, that could happen with... There's a lot of people that have feuds on set or don't like each other. Like, you could pull a Buffy example out. Like, Sarah Michelle Gellar and, um... Allison? Oh, I, I was thinking someone else. I was thinking James Marsters. 
Oh well, there, there's there's a couple on that show. <laughs> you know they don't. They there, don't get there have along. always been rumors that her and Allison don't get along terribly well, but yeah, her and James Marsters was the big one. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So why, why don't you tell us about the other scene that gets brought up? <sighs> okay. Or I can keep rolling. So... Huh? <laughs> or I can keep rolling. No, I just no. This whole thing, I I I just want to be as as like fair and as sensitive as I can mm-hmm. um, and not try to attack certain people. No, no, no. That's not what I'm trying to do either. No, I know. But I have to, but I'm saying it to myself. I'm saying mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. I need to be very um, measured and calm because I have an impulse need to just be like, how dare? But yeah, so. <laughs> I'm saying I'm calming up. myself. <laughs> calm down. Yep. <laughs> Yep. So I'm like, it's okay. Yep. I'm going to keep this as, as, as objective and passionate as I can. As it um, is reminded at the end of the article, the stuff that he mentions here has, was verified by 10 sources. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Who've chosen to remain anonymous. Continue. Because they're still working. And mm-hmm. I mean, yep. yeah. Uh, it's, it's a very retaliatory industry. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, so that was that was the first bit is you know during a tense scene. So yeah, okay, you know that can happen, right? Like I mean, that's passions are high, but this is where it gets interesting because they're married, okay, estranged sort of, but you know they are married, and there is a a bedroom scene, and Allie Larder was his scene partner clearly, and she allegedly took uh, umbrage with how intimate they were being on screen and, you know, what level they were going to portray to the cameras. And so they had a private rehearsal for this, which again, very common for like love scenes and, you know, that kind of thing. The director of the episode was Greg Beeman, who we've mentioned on the show quite a bit Mm because he was a big part of the early show, especially a regular director. And, he was like, hey, well, are you willing to just, like, take the straps off of your shoulders, you know, of, of the top? Because she's wearing, like, a tank top. So that it looks like, you know, under the sheet, like, you're, you know, shirtless, like, like, like he is. Like, like DL's meant to be. And she, uh, she was like, no, no, I'm not doing that. And it became pretty tense, I guess. And so it became a bit of a thing where... There was, you know, a little a little disagreement about this, and she, according to Leonard, uh, wanted a meeting with Beeman and the producers, and they had a very loud conversation about it, saying she'd never been so disrespected as an actress, a woman, a human being, etc. Um, afterward, she was like, oh, I hope the discussion could stay between us. And he's like, firstly, it was loud as hell. Secondly, um, I was not part of the process, and I was her scene partner. Mm-hmm. So... And I gladly would have. I gladly would have, you know, been part of that. So he's like, okay, I find it kind of odd that she's coming to me and being like, hey, we got to be in this together, right? Like, let's just keep this discussion between us and get the work done. When, well, he says he's fine with it. And, you know, they, they, they did. You know, she has her tank top on. You can see it in the in the cap that they include in the article of what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, everything's fine, right? But is it, though? <laughs> because that was episode that was after his introduction okay onto the show but don't you remember that there was a scene i think in episode like pff, three or four mm-hmm. where nikki 
as Jessica seduces Nathan Petrelli. And y'all remember that she's, like, practically butt-ass naked in that scene? Mm-hmm. And fine with it, apparently. Mm-hmm. Because uh, he was like, why was that a thing? Because he spoke with Adrian. Adrian's like, no, opposite. Opposite experience here. She was super open to collaboration and, and, and improvising all of it. It wasn't tenser or, you know, uncomfortable at all. So it's kind of worth remembering, isn't it? That there mm-hmm. was um, a sudden difference here. And, yeah, it's, like, it's stuff like that that just keeps happening. Where it's, like, oh, so it's okay with this, or it's okay like this, but then if I do something with her, then it's different. Mm -hmm. Right. So, he has to start to wonder at this point, is race part of this? Mm -hmm. I mean, it sort of speaks for itself. You can draw your own conclusions, I'm sure, but... It's kind of damning when you think about the fact that she just did that with Adrian Pazdar. Yes. And was and was fine and enthusiastic and encouraging. And was the complete opposite in this scene. Which would have not been uh, obscene or um, uh, explicit at all. They were just in bed together. Mm-hmm. So. Interesting to think about. Again, maybe they just didn't get along, but... That's uh, yeah, just exactly. Like, that could be a thing. Attempting to be, be fair a, a little bit, but like... Oh, yeah. Yep. Interesting. It is interesting. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, worth noting. <laughs> uh, but apparently, this becomes <laughs> such a thing that the uh, beloved, uh, by, by fandom at least, gossip hounds of the internet pick up on it. And they talk about it. Why don't you tell us what Osceola posted? Mm, I, I will read it verbatim. Yeah, do it. Do it, yeah. I remember uh, this post. You, you've heard us talk fondly about uh, blind items before on here. So... Eeny, meeny, miny heroes, if other huge TV hits have taught us anything, it's that great success begets huge ego clashes. So it should come as no surprise that on-screen tensions within one of Hero's main couples have spilled over into real life. According to multiple unnamed sources who have asked not to be identified for fear of having their brains devoured, the female half of this twosome cannot stand to be in the same room as her leading man, let alone make out with him. Coincidentally, or perhaps not, these two have shared only a handful of scenes together in recent weeks. Send me your guesses, and I promise I won't confirm if you're correct. I like my brain without teeth marks, too. <laughs> now, I don't think at the time we associated this with Leonard Nally. Oh my god, no. Who the fuck did we think it was? I thought I it was Pazdar and, like, and his wife, and the woman who played his wife. Yeah, Rena Sofer, which, like, that was an odd leap for us. <laughs> like, yeah. Because um, who else would it be? Right? At the time. It, it was not a show... That was couple heavy. I, mm-hmm. I think maybe at the time, I think maybe like just because to have a guest, people were like, well, we don't have a lot of options. So maybe like Simone and someone. Yeah, it was something like that. But also it's like, oh, that doesn't, I don't know. That never seems right. Yeah. I remember this particular item and just being like, huh, I'm not sure. Even though the answer was right in front of us. Yes. <laughs> because two things. First, we talk a lot. In our season one episodes about how fucking long they're separated and how long it takes them to get back together again. Mm -hmm. That is true. (laughs) As though it's just like a thing that happened instead of like an intentional device to keep the actors apart because one didn't like working with the other. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there's that. And then going back to what she said 
um, according to, again, allegedly, according to Leonard, um, about being disrespected and, you know, as, as though this was so uncomfortable and new to her and then bringing up the Pazdar of it all, um, might I also bring up her very iconic scene in Varsity Blues? Mm-hmm. So you could be like, oh, she's just trying not to be like that anymore. I was like, no, but she already did, though. And in, you know the, what I mean? in like, the pilot, even. Yeah, if she if she had a problem with that sort of thing, she wouldn't have, you know, well, I guess signed on to the role in the first place. But also, the Pazdar thing wouldn't have happened or she wouldn't have, you know, been in that state of undress. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's she like could have been still in a dress, it, like, on top of him. And still yeah, if you're just trying to get away from, like, the Varsity Blues thing, because if you don't know what I'm talking about, she's the one who comes out in the whipped cream bikini in that film. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, people remember forever. Uh, so if she's trying to get away from that, that's cool. But then it's like, no, but then there's all these other things. And then suddenly you have a problem with it. That's what doesn't track. So that's what would make you have questions and obviously uh, made him have questions about mm-hmm. what might be occurring here. Could just be a difference in personality. Some people you just don't get along with. There's plenty of people uh, who work together in the entertainment industry. I mean, you know, famously, if I can date myself a bit, uh, the TV show uh, Moonlighting, mm-hmm. the leads hated each other. Mm-hmm. And like you said, with uh, Sarah Michelle and James, they did not get on. They were not like friends. So it's not unheard of that they just didn't get on. And, you know, there was a lack of chemistry, but... That's just all these little things that are just kind of weird taken all together. But that blind article got him called mm-hmm. into the producer's office. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> um, Dennis Hammer, who was like, oh, don't worry about it. This is all being handled internally. And just, you know, be professional because we know you can be professional. It's all chill. And he pretty much, you know, was the team player at the time going to press events and stuff, you know. Just being like, oh, this will get handled. It's fine. And, you know, as the first season starts going, two other non-white lead characters would be killed off, which we've mentioned. Mm -hmm. And we are talking Simone and Isaac here. Which, again, you know, to try to be, like, fair-handed, you have a large, diverse cast. I mean, people are going to probably get killed off on a genre show. Mm -hmm. And Isaac had the kind of power that someone like Siler would you know, huh, kill for. Mm-hmm. And then what happened to Simone was fridging, and we've already talked about how shitty that is. Yes. So. Mm-hmm. And this made him wonder, uh-oh, am I in trouble? <laughs> His presence on the show, as we said, like, it takes him so long to get it from A to B in season one, it just kept getting smaller and smaller. Which, at the time, just seemed like, you know, a writing choice that we were like, oh, this this is not a good choice. They're also separate from the main storyline. And now it's like, oh, there might have been a real big reason for that. Okay. Yeah, more than we realized. And then, yeah, and then fucking Kirby Plaza hits, the entire cast is on that fucking set, and what happens to DL? Well, he's at first told, you're coming back for season two, don't worry. Yep, yep. And, uh, in fact, you know, they had to go do that Entertainment Weekly photo shoot. You remember we <laughs> talked about those collectible covers, and apparently, uh, <laughs> Allie took umbrage with the fact that their magazine was one of the least best-selling covers which probably has something to do with your guys storyline was the worst one of season one <laughs> which all this drama behind the scenes didn't help apparently mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so yeah yeah so that's probably more the question than yeah because mm-hmm. yeah true story that was the one i got in the mail and i was like well great now i have to go across town and find the others yeah um mm-hmm. 
But it wasn't because of anything, like, so fucking serious. It was just, nah, you guys are just lame compared to everyone else. And now, we kind of might know why. Yeah. So, yeah. So after this, and after Upfronts, he gets a call from Tim Kring. Not even a call, a voicemail message. That <laughs> says, due to the Allie Larder situation, when you come back for season two, you're... <laughs> DL's dead. <laughs> and that, hey, if you want to talk, you can call me, whatever later days. God damn. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, rightfully upset. I think it took him a few days to make an appointment with Tim. Yeah. And who should be there but Dennis Hammer who we discussed earlier is there. And... Which um, we've never really talked about him on the show because we never had a reason to. No. Um, no, no, no. He's an executive producer and uh, from what I recall he's very much like a fucking producer. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. If you know what I mean. And... It's funny what is about to come out of Kring's mouth, because we talk about it with the Monica of it all, with, like, how we are dealing with season two characters going into three. Because of his kerfuffle with Larder, he just can't figure out how to make the story work show-wise to keep DL alive. Mm-hmm. So... Um, and, you know, yeah. How many ideas that did we have as fucking amateurs in order to do that? Mm-hmm. At least a couple. Kring felt his character had been painted into a corner due to the fact that we didn't have chemistry. And any attempt to create a new storyline for DL just felt like the tail wagging the dog. And <laughs> I, like, I just I have to read this for Bam because it's just so great. I replied that I found it interesting he created a world where people flew, painted the future, bent time and space, read minds, erased minds, and were indestructible. Yet somehow the potential story solution for my character to getting divorced left him Utterly confounded. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, we jumped fucking four months where Matt was separated from Janice. Yeah. How easy would it to be that DL was separated from Nikki? So it's not like the show is like weirdly anti-divorce or something. Far Same thing with um, Nathan and Heidi. They were separated. Yep. Yep. It would just be pretty status quo, frankly. Yes. Single dad DL. Saving the day. Firefighter DL. Saving the day. Hey, DL, you and you and Micah can go move up into House of M up there, you know? I mean, okay. <laughs> Doesn't that just sort of prove the point, though, that DL, in his in this version of events, in this form, in the person who's betraying, or portraying him, is being treated like a trailer hitched to the vehicle that is Ellie Larder? Yes. He's not ever being treated as a character who can fully exist without her and that storyline. It's just not even a question. Which he can, and that sucks. (laughs) Because we've, again, talked about this in season two, about all our different ideas for how, like, you know, he could have stayed alive, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's what I'm saying. He he easily could have... Yeah, he easily could have done that. Mm -hmm. They just didn't want to. And I think that's what leads to what is said next. So producer Hammer steps in. And he's like, listen, we love you. And, like everyone just does not like Allie. But, you know, he didn't take that bait and he didn't say that he hated her <laughs> to them. Yeah, no, and it's like, it's you shouldn't take that bait. Mm-hmm. Because it's what they're doing to him and they're using her to do it. And they're like, listen, if you go public with this, we're just going to deny, 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 deny. Mm-hmm. And again, he's like, why does she get to keep the job and I'm let go? Two series regulars. Yeah. And they literally tell him, don't think this is a situation where the black man loses and the white woman wins. 
And as he correctly says, this is the first time his race was ever acknowledged while a part of the show. Right? That's the thing, is it's like, I won't think it if you don't say it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, way to just sort of admit guilt there, bud. Mm-hmm. Like, that's fucked. And he goes on to talk about how Kring is all like, ugh, I wish I didn't have to be a part of this stuff. Like, on the outside, I could just write and worry about that. And, like, you know, trying to relate and bond and... <laughs> as we often say, class war, because he looked at Kring's boots that were like a $4,000 handmade pair that he had t- talked about with another castmate and like marveled at the fact that he was being expected to sympathize. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like, I remember that was a big thing with Kring where like, he just wanted to write the show. He yes. did not want to be a showrunner, mm-hmm. which we discuss a little, I think in the beginning of our podcast where we're like, some people can do both, and some people can do one or the other. Mm-hmm. And I fully was like, hey, he can write. He's got episodes I really like. Um, a showrunner? That is a different type of personality altogether. And he's clearly not cut out for that. Because there's a lot of stuff that gets mismanaged on uh, behind the scenes on this show. This is just part of it, man. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. First time in almost a year of quote-unquote working together he ever sat in the office of the guy who runs the show that he's on. Mm-hmm. Yep, not a good look. <laughs> and during this meeting, it ends up getting proposed, like, listen, we want you to come back to wrap up your character's storyline. And Crane's like, you know, it's going to be great. I'll think of a great wrap-up. It'll be worthy of everything. No doubt what you meant to the hero's family. Because he's driven at home that, like, they try to, like, say it's, like, a family. You know, we're stronger together, etc. Yeah, can I can I butt in real quick about that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there's a management technique where that's what you do, where you equate your employees' uh, position in the company with that of being a member of the family, because what carries with it more obligation and guilt than being in your family? So it is a manipulation tactic that is used all the time in all kinds of jobs. Not even talking about the entertainment industry at this point. I've been at jobs where I was, quote, a member of the family. And then let me tell you how that turned out. <laughs> it's it's a manipulation tactic. That's all it is. And it keeps showing up when they talk to him, too, because they know he's got something. Mm-hmm. So they're just trying to make him, you know, be like, oh, I don't want to harm the family. I don't want to harm everyone else, like, standing up for myself or telling people what's really going on here. Because, you know, that's not cool, Rachel. No. We're all, I mean, like, look, we don't always like each other, but, like, we're family, you know? At the end of the day. (laughs) Nah, it's bullshit. I hate that. I hate that so much. Mm -hmm. Uh, Why don't you tell us about the, the, uh, the olive branch that was offered? Happily. All right, so this all goes down, and he feels like nothing's been resolved to his satisfaction, and he gets a phone call. The network is sending the Heroes cast on the promotional world tour, which we've talked about mm-hmm. on the show, and um, Kring was like, I want to, you know, I mean, we'll make sure you and Allie are on different you know, legs of the tour, <laughs> you guys, right? Which really, like I said, it really seems like they're just using her as a weapon against him. And it's not fucking cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're like, yeah, but we want you to, you know, be part of it. And also we want you to do promotional photos for season two. Because we don't want to give away the fact that DL dies. And 
he's like, I wish I would have told him to fuck off, basically. Um, I really wanted to in a, in a very vicious way, but, um, you know, through his representatives, he was, you know, very professional and polite and was like, no, because he's got to find work. Um, at this point, if they're going on the promotional tour in the summer, right, between the seasons, mm-hmm. that's pilot season. That's pilot season. That is when you need to find a job. And it's really, really difficult to do that. Especially when you've been a regular for a while and just got let go. Like, yeah, he's missed a lot of uh, audition time, basically. You're looking for stuff that'll be, like, mid-season, I think, at this time. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is not always, like, the best. I mean, mid-season used to have a, a, a a, a, a reputation of being the dumping ground of shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't until Grey's Anatomy came along and blew the whole thing up that uh, it became a thing where it was like, oh, you can get on a mid-season show and it'll last. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. no, it had to be like, you got to get there, you know, you got to get there right with the fall, you know, the fall premieres or you're just not going to have a good gig. So he's trying to find work and he receives the final two scripts that conclude the storyline. This is in the fall of 2007. And we talked about this a lot on the episode. We did. We really did. Yeah. And we're going to talk about some more because <laughs> Leonard learns that Deal Hawkins is to die due to a random act of gun violence. Remember what Deal can do? He can pass through things. He can phase his entire body. But as he smartassily and wonderfully says, apparently bullets are still an exception. And so uh, what was most offensive, as he says here, was the offer to pay me as a guest star instead of as a series regular. What the fuck? Yeah. The the level of disrespect is just incredible. He was prepared to be like, nope, nope, nope. But they, you know, negotiated, they made the deal, and they, they got him his full pay. And so the last day of filming that he ever had on Heroes was the death scene of D.L. Hawkins. And it involved him, as he says in the article, throwing my body off camera just as an assailant raised a gun and fired. The shot ended not with me, but with Nikki's face alone in the frame, splattered with Deal's blood. It took one take. Yep. <sighs> yep. So the director was like, that's lunch. Good job, everybody. Oh, what a pro. What a great member of the family. <laughs> and uh, Allie gave him a hug goodbye, which is the most they'd ever touched on or off camera, as he says. <laughs> and everyone left. And that was it. And he walked to his car. And he thought about that family thing that Dennis Hammer said and uh, drove home in silence. And and, uh, that was where you would think the story ends, but it's not because it sticks with him Mm -hmm. for a long time. Um, The thing that was really difficult in how this all went down was how it was to be perceived. And he says, you know, he's like, to black people, whether a part of the entertainment industry or not, the frustration and pain I went through was an all too familiar, familiar reminder of what it meant to feel as invisible as Ralph Ellison's revered protagonist. He's referring to the book that Ralph Ellison wrote. But to white and non-black people in my orbit, what happened was often chalked up to a tough, uh, tough break. When solely driven by artistic concerns with my long stretches of unemployment in the years after referred to as simply a stint in quote unquote actor's jail. And so he's being gaslit essentially here that his feelings are not valid that his experience was not the one that he thought and that surely racism was not the issue or even race being any part of the issue. So yeah, he, uh, he, he, he has to deal with this for a while. You know, he'll, he'll talk to people he works with on the show and someone who they don't name 
was like, you really think you lost your job because you're black? Like, come on. They're always going to keep the hot blonde on the show. That's just Hollywood. And uh, he's like, well, as a white man, to ask me to deny I lost my job because I was black, but except my co-star kept her job because of attributes he clearly believed identified her as white, was in fact a literal embodiment of systemic racism, <laughs> which is the fucking point yes. of all of this. And it's funny because uh, I didn't mean to use an Ally Larder character to do this. <laughs> But do you remember what I said about Tracy Strauss versus Stephen Canfield? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there are different experiences in this world of the show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, refer to last week's episode to to hear me accidentally stumble on this a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, last week or the week before, I can't remember which one it was. I think it was, because uh, last week was the Doyle the stuff, so I think portals. it was the one yeah, before. Yeah, it was the week before. It mm-hmm. was the week before. It was um, uh, 3.05. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and then people would talk about Ali Larder around him and be like, oh, you know, talk about your girl, your favorite person, and then it's just patronizing and uh, suggesting that it's just his problem or, you know, just a figment of his imagination, as he says. And he's like, after Heroes became a success, our scripts came with a warning of our immediate dismissal should any material ever be disclosed. Remember... We're a family, and a family is only as strong as the secrets we keep each script read. Yeah, it's very much a a, um, a guilt, like a quieting tactic. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, why you gotta do that if there's no problems? That's all I gotta, all I gotta know. I'm not talking about spoilers. They can say they're talking about spoilers, but they're not fucking talking about spoilers there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Do you want to take it from here, or...? Sure. So just the continued, you know, after effects of this uh, trauma, basically. Yeah. So he's, he carried this whole fucking experience with him for years and it affected how Mm -hmm. he interacted with other people. Kind of took away his agency, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Afraid that this would repeat in any other job he got. Uh, Sort of withdrawing from colleagues, friends, loved ones. Um Mm-hmm. And how he thought he was a failure for not being able to rise above it and be better, which it it it, it makes me so angry that he ever had to feel that way. Yes, it, it's not his fucking onus to to high road, if you will. No, that's not on him. And ten years after he got fired from Heroes, he would become a series regular again. It took ten years. Yep. Which at the meeting, I believe yep. he mentions that they're like, "Oh, don't worry, it'll be back up before you know it. This will just be a little whoop on your radar." <sighs> yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, you know, it's funny that this is all occurring and it really fills in a lot of questions that I've had because one did wonder whatever happened to Leonard Roberts. Everyone else seemed to be working pretty steadily after mm-hmm. Heroes. And he'd show up once or twice on the thing. But, yeah, I was like, whatever happened to that guy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It feels very parallel to Catherine Heigl on Grey's Anatomy. Uh-huh. With uh, bad behavior on set leading to dismissal of another actor. And then, like, you yep. get, you eventually get the reputation for being someone who's not fun to work with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it didn't, it, it's one of those things where it's like, but it didn't mean that Isaiah didn't say the thing he said to the person he said it to. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, you can be a not great person to work with, but that doesn't change the fact of, you know, a bigger issue here. So... Allie might not have been a great person to work with for Leonard or for maybe other people on the set and crew, but you know, that's not what's happening here. That's not the point. Mm-hmm. So don't get distracted by the Allie larder of it all. Cause that's what they're hoping you'll do. Yes. 
Because not yeah. just Allie, there's other places that could have been rectified along the yeah. way, as we've said. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. But that's the thing, isn't it? It's, it's like, okay, yeah, he had this bad experience with this person. Um, but as we were saying, it's all over the show. Mm-hmm. The, the race issues on Heroes are everywhere if you look for them. Yes. Like, they're there. Mm-hmm. So I'm, you know, it, it makes me that much more inclined to fully see this as an issue that I'm glad that he's discussing. And I would die if we could get other people's comment on it. I, like I said, I want to know, I want to know what Tawny Cypress thinks. I want to know what Santiago Cabrera thought. I, more than anything, want to hear from uh, Dana Davis. Yes. Who played Monica. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would love to hear from her because I bet her experience is not dissimilar based on how her character is introduced and how her storyline is just sort of like, I would be stunned if it were, if it were like completely different. Same. Well, we might yeah. find out in the coming days, week, whatever. We'll see. I, I, I hope so. I truly do. I hope someone else stands up. Cause yeah. you know, like I get why people don't want to, but damn, is it important to at this point in just like socially, you know, I mean, and he talks about that in this next bit, you know, the actual systemic core of it, mm-hmm. where he's like, I'm not saying the people I worked with were racist. I'm saying that there was an issue here in which race factored. That's different. Because he doesn't, you know, want people to be like, oh, the cast and everyone, you know, heroes is just a bunch of racists. Like, that's not what he's saying. He's saying his experience was dealt with in a way that could only really come down to that more than anything. Mm-hmm. Like just, you know, letting him speak for himself. He says, were the people I worked with racist, even now my instinct is to hedge and say that I met many great people while on heroes. Some of whom I still call friends or to admit, I can't speak to what was in the hearts of the powers that be, especially when I was rarely afforded the opportunity to look them in the eye. But do those facts, however true, negate my belief that I've worked in an environment in which whiteness was the default and ideal. Or that it was clear my sole purpose was to preserve that ideal on or off camera, despite how it compromised me as an artist, a professional, and a man. They do not. That pretty much nails it. Mm-hmm. So. And then he talks about, you know, the importance of how, you know, representation matters and how the right representation matters and how, you know, allyship has to be something that is met with action, not just words. You have to be able to make these difficult choices you know, because he talks about how he'd hope to be able to reflect on the experience from a, you know, fulfilled and less angering place. But he, he can't. He can't do that because he's saying the larger moment we find ourselves in compels me to share. Uh, for this to become a true turning point, we will all have to engage in a more substantive way. I encourage white people to understand that while standing as allies has its place, action is what this moment demands. This applies to the industry as well. The studio can't spend millions to support black causes publicly, but have no black people in leadership roles. The white show creator can't create a show featuring non-white on-camera talent, but disregard non-white voices behind the scenes. The white actor who's worked for half as long as a comparable actor of color yet makes twice the pay has to be willing to put that on the line to give voice to the disparity in the name of fairness and equity. The representative should respect and live up to that title and fully embrace what it means to act on our behalf. Without the understanding that these issues are all a part of the same conversation, public acts in the name of allyship become as performative as people making social media posts, uh, posts exposing the virtues of equity and inclusion while privately maintaining the status quo or dropping the uncle from a box of rice. As artists, as professionals, and as human, uh, human beings, 
Fully embracing this moment should not only result in our existing, but thriving. I had to say the whole thing. It was really fucking yes, good. Yes, I agree. So. I agree. Do you want to talk about the end of his piece and where Variety kicks in? or? Yeah, he came to Variety in August with this essay. And I think I said it earlier too, 10 people substantiated mm-hmm. the account. Probably the... um. So... Yeah. That's not a small amount of people on, on a show like that. Mm-hmm. Like, that's... That's a pretty substantiated account of what went down. And the people that uh, that uh, substantiated it are all anonymous because they continue to work in the industry and mentioned that the first season was an arduous production because of the intensity of its immediate success. Uh, yep. They found that copy in the pilot with the white man's nightmare. Mm-hmm. Uh, they talked to... They also confirmed that other series leads did in fact have conversations with writers about the characters and that there were no black writers. They talked about it all the time yes. in like interviews mm-hmm. and stuff. Like, yeah. So that they found all the things he was saying true, noticing where the black actors were sidelined in cast photos. And they knew that yep. Larder did There's not no like black writers working. on the staff in the first season. Mm-hmm. Yep. Larder did not like working with Roberts and that Larder was yep. a divisive presence on the set overall, which again, may be true, but not why we're here. Yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah. It's easy to gang up on a woman because women are incredibly vulnerable in this industry and in all industries. So, very true. Because she's still so. plenty in the show. <laughs> Fast season one. Uh, they yeah, made her, gave her a that's whole the thing. It's like she can't character. be that big of a fucking problem, right? They gave her a whole fucking new character to keep her on the show. Yeah, because there were all these. Well, I remember this too. There were all these blind items that she was gonna like leave or get fired or something because again, creative blah. And they were like, let's give her a whole new character. So they clearly wanted to work with her. Mm-hmm. So Think about that. Kind of makes you wonder. Um, they also contacted anyone mentioned by name in the essay. And mm-hmm. they uh, asked about that specific day with the intense and loud conversation between Larder Beeman. And Beeman does not remember an argument or anything happening. Yeah, but Beeman still works. So, mm-hmm. like, do you know what I mean? He... he he, yeah, he let his name be known in his comment. He wasn't, like, one of the anonymous people, but he's got the same thing on the line. So. Mm-hmm. But apparently, like, there was a, a thing about the wardrobe thing, but, like, he's apparently mm-hmm. she didn't say she felt disrespected or whatever, and they they returned mm-hmm. to work and finished the shot. Um, I think they note it later after asking a couple other people that are named, where it's like, yeah, 14 years is a long time, but it didn't sit with you the same it sat with him. Mm-hmm. So, uh, representative for Pazdar did not comment or did not respond to multiple attempts for comment. And no, there was no, uh, Larder did not comment as well. Uh, yeah. So basically they talked to her a bunch off the record and then tried to get her to go on the record and she went no. Yeah. So, and, but go ahead. Tim Kring and Dennis Hammer sure had to fucking yap their mouths. So. <laughs> you want to tell us about it? Want to read us their Yeah, statements? I would love to. I, Sure would. <clears throat> yeah. So Tim Crane provided a statement that said, In 2006, I set out to cast the most diverse show on television. Diversity, interconnectivity, and inclusivity were groundbreaking hallmarks of heroes. So, too, was the huge diverse cast that continually rotated off and on to the show, with none ever being written off based on their race. Looking back now, 14 years later, given the very different lens that I view the world through today, I acknowledge that a lack of diversity at the upper levels of the staff may have contributed to Leonard experiencing the lack of sensitivity that he describes. I have been committed to improving upon this issue with every project I pursue. I remember Leonard fondly and wish him well. I fucking hate it here. Okay, so, first of all, 
I this is like I, I need to tear ass into this because I've said it again and again that Kring is probably one of the worst things like that Heroes has going for it. Uh, he's a terrible showrunner. He's a fine writer, but he's a terrible showrunner. And he is like the fucking epitome of like good intentions leading to all this chaos because while that's true, he did, you know, swing his privilege mm-hmm. into creating this diverse group of people on a network show, which, yes, was a big deal. This and Lost, they were very big deals. You heard about it all the time, about how great that was. You can't just have that be a thing and not put the work in to either, as he also acknowledges, having own voices tell their own stories Mm -hmm. or act like that's enough because representation matters. Yes. But good representation is what we're fucking looking for. Mm -hmm. Not just having it there, having it there doesn't mean anything if you can't back it up. So when he sits there and he says like, Hey, it was a huge diverse cast. It was continually rotated off and on like, Hey man, people left, people came back like whatever. Like, nope, nope, that's not what we're fucking saying. None ever being written off based on their race. Nobody is saying that that's what you did intentionally. Mm -hmm. But just look at how you treated other people versus the other people. Do you know what I mean? Like, after a while, coincidence becomes pattern. So, look at that. Look at the fact that he's like... Ah, yes, 14 years ago. What a long time. I'm, su- I'm such a grown individual from there on. I- I've, I've, I've learned so much and I'm open to learning more. I hate that. I hate the subtext of this. He sat there going like, oh, yeah, guess we should have had some people of color on the staff. You know, maybe maybe that helped, you know, contribute to Leonard, his experience, which if you look at the phrasing to Leonard experiencing the lack of sensitivity that he describes, he might as well have said, I'm sorry that you felt <laughs> It's it it is the lip service he describes earlier in the article with the Uncle Ben's rice. You, sure, right, that's performative the thing. piece, like, but it's like you didn't performative go as fuck. deeper. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then Dennis Hammer was like, 14 years ago is a long time, but I clearly remember that Leonard was a great guy on Total Pro. Have a nice summer." And it's like, <laughs> it's just fucking bullshit, man. Like he's a producer. I expect that mm-hmm. from him. They're soulless, but um. Yeah, and he doesn't want to get involved. He's like, yeah, okay, sure, everything was great because you know, whatever. He has a job now, and you know, he didn't he didn't rock the boat while the boat was rocking. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I yeah. mean? This would be very different if this had come out like right after the show had ended or during it. Oh yeah, um, that would have been huge. Like, yeah, oh my god, that'd have been a thing. I'm sure he would have said something very different then. But yeah, no, Tim Kring, like, it just makes me so mad because. It's like, yeah, you did. You you leveraged your privilege. You put a very diverse cast on television. That is a great thing. But the work is not done there. Mm-hmm. And you don't get to pat yourself on the back for doing that. You don't. Mm-hmm. So, own up to it. It kind of, like, shields him own from fucking fuck having a it. good conversation with someone about that. It absolutely does. Because he's also very, like, oh, all this responsibility was thrust onto me. And I didn't ask for it. So I'm not responsible for whatever happens because mm-hmm. of it. No. No, that's not how that works. So, I yeah, I hate that statement. That yeah. is everything that is wrong. It's like you said, it's taking Uncle from the Benz. Yep. It's uh, fucked. Cause it, it, it's certainly something that where they're like, oh, it was so long ago. But it's not long ago for someone who it affected. Exactly. Exactly. Like, yeah. 
So that was the whole piece. Um, do we want to say anything else before we wrap up? Because I'm getting close to my, my time. Yeah, I think, I think we covered pretty much everything we want to talk about here. This won't be the last time that we talk about. We probably even mentioned this again at the beginning of the next episode. If we think, you know, have a little time in between that and what we think about. Oh, Oh, I'm fully gonna, yeah, I mean, I'm sure we'll have more to say. And look at how they recruit Knox into Pinehurst. <laughs> like, it is ugly. I've never been okay with it. And I'm gonna find it and make us all watch it. Yeah. It is the most, like, stereotypical bullshit. Like, oh my god. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, problems everywhere, as far as the eye can see. Oh, what a day. Did not expect to be still podcasting at this time. Oh my god. I'm going to have no voice. I'm going to have no voice tomorrow. If um, this stuff doesn't come out on Friday, you know why. Because I've had... <laughs> You'll know god, why now. Yeah, um, no. no, just we're going to keep our ears to the ground. We're, we're going to see if anyone says anything. or See if or anyone releases a statement. Or... Stay tuned to that, I guess. Uh, yeah, um, thank you for joining us for this very special episode <laughs> of... Uh, in all ways of uh, Eclipse, a Heroes podcast. Um, yeah, um, I would really love to hear people's comments about this in particular. Mm-hmm. I-, I would love to have the conversations about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that'd be cool. Um, reach us uh, on our Twitter or our Discord to do so. Um, we leave a link to the Discord server in the show notes. We don't normally do the socials at the end of these episodes, but in this case, it's like, hey, Eclipse podcast, that's us. Yeah. Come, come, uh, come, come! Speak with us. I would absolutely love to hear what people have to say about it, all over. So, and uh, <laughs> if you have any other incidences you want to talk about from the show, not handling this that great with other people or characters, let us know if we missed any. Because you know, kind of seems like there's a lot. So, mm-hmm. which I mean, that's something we've talked about. We have a, a special fondness for this show because of what it brought to us personally, and. Um, how it still makes us feel, but you can absolutely like a thing and still point out its flaws. And actually you are encouraged to do so because that's really the only proper way to do it. Yeah. So I agree. Yep. Yep. All right. So we, we out, we doing we this. We out. Thanks for right. listening. Uh, yeah. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Uh, we will see you next time. Um, I guess we'll see if anything else blows up. This was not expected. Uh, yeah. Um, See you then. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.